Random Inks Productions presents the Credible Nerds Podcast. What's up, my nerds? Welcome, everyone, to the Credible Nerds Podcast. I am your host, Justin, and I have my co-host with me, Kimball. Hey, everyone. How's it going? And today we are here to talk about the 2019 film Glass by M. Night Shyamalan. And came out in January of 2019, January 18, 2019. So we want to break that film down and talk about what we liked about it and how it connected to the other previous two films and whether or not you should go watch it. So we want to thank you guys for joining us here on the Credible Nerds podcast as we review Glass. So like I said earlier, Glass is the third movie in a trilogy. It initially started with the film Unbreakable, which was released in 2000, year 2000. And the second film was Split, which was actually released in 2017. So 17 years later, finally got a sequel. And then we got this third film that came out earlier this year. So uh, we're doing it unconventional. We're going to review the trilogy out of order, kind of like Star Wars films, how they were released all over the place. But that's how we're going to do it. With Glass fresh on our minds, it's a recent film. We liked it. So we wanted to get together and talk about it. So let's start off with the the breakdown of the cast and characters. Um, Like I said, it was directed by M. Night Shyamalan. It was written by him as well. And it stars James McAvoy. And he is uh, reprising his roles, his 23 characters. I think he only did 19 in this film, if I remember correctly. But we'll get into his characters a little bit later. But Bruce Willis is back. He was in the original Unbreakable and had a cameo at the end of Split. He plays David Dunn. Samuel L. Jackson is back as Elijah Price or Mr. Glass. Anya Taylor-Joy reprises her role as Casey Cook from Split. New character uh, played by Sarah Polson is Dr. Ellie Staple. And Spencer Treat Clark is back as Joseph Dunn. And those are the, the, the main players in this film. And don't forget Mrs. Price. She also comes back. Oh, yeah, yeah. Elaine Woodard. She's the mom of Glass. Yeah, yep. I was wondering if they would use the same actors that they had used in the original Unbreakable. And I was glad to see that, you know, the same guy or the same, yeah, the same guy that played the kid, Joseph, in that film was back as well as Mrs. Price's. Yeah, they got everyone back. There was no, uh, I guess, recasting, which was which is good for continuity. I love continuity. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really affect the film too much, but I mean, inside you're like, oh yeah, that's the same guy. You know, it just feels so much better Mm -hmm. for me anyway. I like that. I like it when like there's a kid like Joseph Dunn and then you see what he looks like as an adult and there's no like second guessing. Like, is that really him as a kid? They don't have any fake CGI going going on. It's just, um, it's really him growing up. And I thought that was great. In fact, um, I heard that. So the actor for Joseph Dunn, Spencer Treat Clark, supposedly he's going to be in the next Gladiator movie. Mm. He was Lucius in that film, The Kid. I believe well not Prince but whoever the the son next in line for the Roman Empire but yeah he should be in the next gladiator film which uh, which I'm looking forward to that as well yeah that one sounds good but yeah these little things these little attention to details they go a long way and it's good to see him do that James McAvoy in Split we're introduced to him and his characters and we'll just kind of go through the list of them there's Patricia there's Dennis Hedwig Barry Heinrich Jade Ian Mary Reynolds, Norma, Jalen, Kat, BT, 
Kevin Wendell Crumb, which is his real name, right? That's the real. Yeah, that's the original. Yeah, the original personality. Uh, Mr. Pritchard, Felida. I'm not sure how you pronounce that one. Uh, Luke, Goddard, Samuel, and Polly. He can do 23. There was 23 personalities total. Oh yeah, the Beast. I can't forget the Beast. Yeah, I read in the, the trivia portion of IMDb that initially... M. Night Shyamalan had written parts for all of the personalities. And just due to time and story flow, he ended up cutting out a, a few of them. But, you know, initially there was going to be, he was going to do all, all of the personalities. And let's talk about that first, how James McAvoy handled that in Split as well as in this film. He did it so good. Yeah. Such a good job. It's, it's so much fun watching him do that. They, yeah. I think they picked the perfect character, or at least he really trained hard to do this because he, it's like watching, you know, 19 different people. Some of these different personalities only get like one liners. You don't see them too often or repeated throughout the film, but it does a good job, especially when they just show like they don't have a break in the scene or the camera, like it's still on him. And you can just see this subtle change go over James McAvoy's face. And then now he's Patricia. And then a few seconds later, he's Barry. It's just, it's so cool to watch. Yeah. I think he should have been Oscar nominated for that performance because it's, it was phenomenal, both in Split and in this. If you had a favorite, who would you, who's your favorite of, of the personalities? Definitely Hedwig. Yeah. Ever since uh, the last movie and uh, Split, like I liked him a lot then, but I like him a lot now. It's just funny how he has a lisp and he's, um, he tries to act really mature for his age saying he has a girlfriend yeah. and they're dating and it's just... <laughs> He's my favorite. I like Hedwig a lot. Yeah. And that's, I mean, he could win a Oscar just for that performance. Um, a grown man acting like a child who's acting like a teenager, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, just amazing. Phenomenal. And I thought it was cool that, um, so Mr. Glass talked about how when he's Hedwig, that's kind of a superpower by itself okay. because he has the ability to always stay young, always stay a nine-year-old and not get older. And that was kind of cool when he, when he described that. It's like, huh, well, that can actually be a strength or it can be, you know, another superhero apart from the beast. So I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I would say Hedwig is my favorite, Uh, but I did like Kevin Wendell Crumb. He was, when he would come out, he was kind of like, he was a tortured soul and he knew what he was doing was wrong, but he couldn't, he couldn't help it. And I did like that, that aspect of it too, of his personality. Yeah. So lots of characters that James McAvoy is playing. Uh, So he was in Split, we're introduced to him in Split. And initially he was going to be in Unbreakable, but just, it was a distraction to the main story. And so he wrote it out through his rough drafts and stuff through that whole process. But it's amazing that M. Night Shyamalan had this whole trilogy basically in mind since 2000. And it's great that he finally was able to get it produced and released in 2019. So that's pretty cool story how that all came about. And I think he um, he meant for it to take time because he didn't want to rush it and have it you know be released a few years after each other. Like he didn't. He wanted the story to develop naturally so he wasn't in any rush to come out with split which was 17 years later after unbreakable that was how he wanted it to be and i'm glad he did it that way because i thought that it flowed better there was nothing that was um there was nothing that was unnatural about it or felt forced like you get with some sequels or some uh, movies that you're in the third you got the the third movie coming out it always feels like they're just kind of forcing it but this one to me it felt like he he intended it to be this way and for it to be released in a long time Spam. Yeah, it worked out great. 
So this movie starts a couple weeks, I think it was three weeks or so after the last movie split, the story picks up. And we start with David Dunn and his son, Joseph. And they're working together. They own like a security company. They sell cameras and things like that. And But on the side, they're trying to track down the beast, this person who killed the girls in splits. And then the, the girl, Casey Cook, was able to escape. So they're trying to track him down, the beast down, and capture him. And so that's what they're doing on the side. Uh, David Dunn, he seems like he lives alone now. His son Joseph has moved out and his wife, which was a big part of the first story, Unbreakable, is is deceased. If I remember correctly, she died of some form of cancer. Mm -hmm. It was a cancer tumor or something like that. I I wish they would have expounded on that. They touched on it a little bit, but by the way, how she was such a big character in the last film, I thought that she kind of got shafted a little bit in this film. At least her story did. It would have been nice to hear a bit more of that. Oh yeah, I agree. I mean, because the big part of the story, like you said, was their relationship and her and him and how they're getting along. And they finally worked it out. And then the next time you revisit their family, she's dead. So yeah. it's it kind of a letdown, like you said. But, so he's he's sad. He misses her. Joseph is on his, on his own. He's working with his dad. We don't really know much about Joseph, do we? Uh, he's graduated from high school. He works at the store. I don't think we know much else beside that, do we? No, I mean, it's, he's graduated from high school for, it's been a few years because he was like, what was he, about 10 in the Unbreakable? And so it's been 17 years. He's in his late 20s now. I don't. He might have gone to college, but he's just been kind of with his dad. Um, they've just been a, a good duo, especially since the mom's gone. So he's yeah. just helping out with the family business. Yeah. And we got Elijah Price, Mr. Glass. He's still in incarcerated. And he's in the mental hospital. Not much has changed for him, really, as far as where he's at and what he's up to. Uh, then we got Kevin Wendell Crumb. I think for the most part, I'm going to refer to him as the Beast throughout the this episode, unless there's a specific moment where he's actually a different character. But yeah, he's, like I said, it was a couple weeks, three weeks maybe after the last episode. And so he's hiding out. He's still doing his thing. He's capturing girls who he views as unholy and is eating them, right? That, yeah, a few of them at least. Yeah, killing them and eating them like he did in the, the previous film with Split. David and Joseph are tracking him down, trying to track his movements. David, one of David's abilities is that he can touch someone and kind of get a, an idea, a feeling, a background of what type of person they are. So what he does is he wanders around the neighborhoods that he, the beast might be in and touches people and kind of gets an idea of has he been there or hasn't he been there. So we, we pick up and he goes to this abandoned warehouse area, this industrial area, and he ends up actually running into the beast so he's manifesting Hedwig and he bumps into him and he he knows it's him there's no proof but he's you know 99% sure it's him so he follows him to where he's able to go where he's able to go and locate the the cheerleaders the girls that he's holding and freeze them but as he frees them the beast shows up and they fight it's a pretty cool fight um they're pretty evenly matched um, the beast can can take his hits and david dunn can take the beast's hits and they're just going out of full bore uh, wh- yeah. what did you think of this part when the beast showed up and he's like climbing on the ceiling and he's just all dark and shadowy and all that stuff it was a really good scene i i was trying to figure out when they were gonna show this matchup in the movie i thought it would be at the end or something but it- it's like, you know, within the first 15 minutes of the film, they're already going at it and fighting, which was great because um, that was kind of, it was building up to that. And so we're already getting a good fight scene. And yeah, it was pretty even. I was uh, I was rooting for David, though, 
because um, I really wanted him to hand it to the beast because the beast just thinks he is all powerful and nothing can beat him. And it's funny because you can you can see like the look on the beast's face like this guy's, you know, he can actually take me. Like, yeah, see the confusion and uh, um, not, I wouldn't say he's afraid, but yeah. there's definitely some little bit of fear or at least unexpected feeling that the beast gets. And it, it's a pretty good fight. Yeah, it was good. So they end up fighting. The fight goes out into the street outside of the warehouse. The cheerleaders escape. They're fine. Just a little traumatized. So, but uh, the the beast and David, their fight ends up going out into the streets. And when they get out there, the police are there and they were able to capture those two and they end up taking them to the mental hospital. Do you think it was a little too easy to capture those two? Yeah, I didn't. I kind of wish they would have written that a bit better just because like, how did the police know they were there? I mean, they, they weren't able to track the beast at all for three weeks or find any of the um, women that he had been holding hostage. And then all of a sudden they're, they're able to find them like within an hour. So I just, I wish they had done a little bit better job with that and it seemed like they were able to just stop the fight you know pretty easily without any force all they did was just shine lights on them and then they just stopped fighting yeah and i was curious how did they know that the lights would affect the beast that way and change his personality and that i don't know if that was explained very well they just knew that they could do that so. i think do- the they talked about it a bit later at least dr staple that seemed like she had mentioned at least she knew um she had been researching him for a while Okay. Later on the film, uh, whenever she talks about how she found them and it seemed like she knew that was his weakness somehow, but okay. this, I mean, I don't know. That could have just been her hypothesis. Like she never tested it on him. So it was a pretty big risk. Like they didn't, I don't think they knew it was going to work. It was just like, well, let's just try it. Yeah. Yep. So they are able to get him to the mental hospital and they, everybody has their own room. Um, the beast has his room and it's all set up with lights. So if he crosses a certain point in the room, they have a line taped on the floor or if he is, threatening towards staff they flash those lights and it uh, subdues him so that's how, how they're able to keep control of him then, yeah it makes him change um personalities actually so yeah. he'll like, and that's one of the cool things in the film is you can just see him change just like that in the snap of a finger and then he's someone else he's Hedwig he's Barry he's that Mexican guy talking Spanish and that's pretty- <laughs> yeah 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 it was pretty cool and then with David Dunn it's a room and it has all these metal nozzles that shoot out water to weaken him because water's his weakness. So they have these different ways that they're able to confine them even though they're superheroes they maximize their weaknesses to be able to control them and keep them in those rooms to study them so then we're introduced to another main character a new main character uh, dr ellie staple and she's presented as a therapist who's studied their case files and she says she has like what was it three days two days a very short period of time to be able to convince them or talk to them about their um, abilities so that's what this, this middle act of the film is about, is her talking to them and basically trying to convince them that what they're doing and what they're thinking isn't true, that they aren't superheroes, they don't have these powers, they're just normal people who are crazy and think they're a superhero. And as they as they do that, there I mean, there's one big scene that is in the previews and it's a lengthy scene in the film where they're, the three of them are sitting side by side in chairs in this big room. She's there in front of them talking to them and she 
it goes through all the the reasons why they're not superheroes. And so when with when this was going on, Kimball, what were you thinking? Were you buying into what she was saying, or curious why she thinks that, or what were what was your reactions to that? Yeah, she did present pretty good cases, and I like I like when that happens when you can almost be convinced of the other side of the story, almost like playing devil's advocate. Yeah, I thought she did a pretty good job. The only thing that got me in that scene is like, how did they manage to get all three people in the same room? Well, I could see glass is easy. You just wheel him in a wheelchair and then (laughs) just subdued. But like you got um, uh, unbreakable guy, David. I mean, did they just like lead him into that room with a fire hose pointed at him to get him to go? And then they chained him down. And then you got the beast and he's not even um, harnessed at all. He's just kind of sitting in a chair. Um, But that scene is, that scene is so cool. What I really like about this film is they use a lot of, um, M. Night Shyamalan used a lot of color to depict um, this scene especially. So each character has their own uh, color as their theme. You have the beast, he's yellow. You got glass, he's purple. And then you got um, David Dunn, who's green. And all their outfits reflect that color. Um, And you could just kind of see like in each of their scenes, it's always there's always a tint of their of their color and you could and you can see it really well in this particular scene the whole room's pink but then you see a bit of yellow a bit of purple and a bit of green then i really like that the whole film just kind of you can see these thematic elements just show up in in different scenes when it has to do with the duns it's going to be more green it's going to be has to do with the the prices then it'll be a purple that was what i noticed and i liked about that yeah that was a really nice touch and it did tie things in because even though i wasn't aware of that going into it I, I picked up on it halfway through the film or at some point and i was like oh that's interesting so it's, it's really well done it's subtle but when you recognize it it's there so yeah you appreciate it for what it's worth yeah and that's i mean that's pretty similar with most films right superhero films like you got green lantern he's a green wearing a green suit and iron man's got a red metal suit you know it's so it's already there in the existing superheroes with their costumes but these guys don't have costumes so he chose to use color to reflect that so that was cool yeah so when uh dr staple was talking i started to think like well maybe maybe she's right because like you said she was very convincing and playing the devil's advocate very well um but in the end i wasn't convinced <laughs> so and i don't they weren't either they knew who they were so especially when the beast was kind of mocking her that part was funny he just like claps his hands and he's the uh, that girl he turned into her and yeah, then patricia. yeah patricia that was that was funny when he was mocking her yeah yeah very well done whole scene and there was very there's a lot of tension and drama in that scene you know didn't, there didn't have to be action or anything it was just straight dialogue and you could feel the tension in there it was great i didn't know what would happen i thought maybe david dunn would break his chain or they would start fighting in there i mean yeah, yeah there, was, there was some good suspense even though there wasn't any action in that scene yeah yeah definitely you didn't know what was going to happen all right so from here we go into Kind of the next phase, the last act of this of the movie, um, the breakout, and you have Elijah Price, who up to this point hasn't talked. I guess he's so medicated because he's so smart, he can outthink everybody there. So they got to keep him medicated, or else he'll escape, try and escape. So <clears throat> he doesn't say much, but we start to see what happens at night. Everybody goes home. There's just like a security guard, maybe two, and so he, Elijah Price, comes up with this plan that he's able to break out and go talk to the beast, and that's where. 
we get the line, you know, the, the bad guys, this looks like the bad guys teaming up. So he comes up with this plan that will convince the beast to join him as well as break out. And <clears throat> so he's he's able to, he steals medications, right? Or he, what does he do with the medications? Oh, he They're giving him his medications, but he's not taking them. Yeah, he's just been hoarding them in his wheelchair armrest. Yeah, he's able to hide them. So he, he's able to come down off the medication. He thinks he's able to think and plan out and what he wants to do. And part of it was the video cameras. They installed the video cameras. Do you remember how that's what led to that? I think they had, he had been sneaking. No, he couldn't have been sneaking out, but for some reason they, they installed video cameras so that he couldn't sneak out and that they could see everything that was happening. But they didn't really show explain like, well, what caused them to install more video cameras? It was just, they started doing it one day. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was a part where he kind of snuck out. He, I don't know. I can't remember. It was, it was a kind of a minor detail, but the end result was they installed all these cameras around the, in the hallways and outside so they could make sure that nothing happened. And they should have done much better with their security, like two guards at night. It just didn't seem, I wish they would have done better at, I don't know, showing um, like, this is a mental institution, but he's able to just kind of go about freely and do whatever he wants in his wheelchair. Yeah. So, so he comes up with this plan and he's able to, oh, there was the thing with the, like the MRI machine. They're going to, oh, the, the therapist, Dr. Staple comes up with this treatment for the beast, right? Yeah. For all of them, they needed to get uh, their brain scanned, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big part of it. The brain scan. But Elijah Price steals this piece that kind of is part of the brain scan to make it work. He steals this piece out of it, out of the machine, so then it won't work properly. And so... Oh, you mean that eyepiece that he was looking at? Yeah. Yeah, I had wondered what was that all about. So that was part of the MRI machine? Yeah. Okay. So, hold on, let me see if it says anything about that in the Wikipedia. So I don't remember the details of it. Because like he was looking at, it was on his table in his room, he took it and then in one of the videos um, at the end, he kind of is playing with it in his hand as he's talking to Dr. Staple. Yeah. Oh yeah, they were, they were going to use this laser surgery to lobotomize him with a mm. surgical laser. That was it. Yeah. So with the, they were going to do MR. They did MRI results. They did do them. They showed irregularities. And so they were going to, or Dr. Staples was going to use this laser machine to lobotomize Elijah, but he's able to steal the piece out of it. So the laser doesn't work. They go through the test. They think that it worked. Dr. Staple thinks that it worked. They take him back to his room. But then later on that night, he kills an orderly, one of the guards there, and he's able to get the beast out. And he tells David, hey, we're going to go to this tower, that this newly built tower that was introduced earlier in the film. And we're going to reveal our existence to the world. And the beast is going to wreak havoc. So what are you going to do to stop us? But he leaves them inside the cell. So as they're making their escape, they go through the, the basement to escape. And as they're doing that, David Dunn is trying to break through the door, eventually breaks through. And in the meantime... In the basement, we later find out that Elijah, he changed, he recorded, he took the recording of all the cameras and he pointed him to a different server so that it would record, if I remember correctly. He yeah, does something. He was, um, he hacked into the system so that the cameras could be recording on a different server or yeah. at least recording on two different servers at the same time because he had a plan to use that for later in the film. Yeah. So as they escape and go outside, they're at the same time. I thought this was a little too coincidental, but it's still kind of cool. But as they're 
leaving Casey Cook, the girl that the beast tortured the previous film, uh, David Dunn's son, Joseph, and Elijah's mom showed up at the mental institution. So as they're leaving, uh, the beast and Elijah see these, these people. And so there's a big confrontation there. David Dunn is able to come out at that time. And then there's a big showdown in front of the mental hospital. This is where it gets really good because then you can just see the fight happening and I was expecting it not to like, I thought it would build up to be in front of the tower, but the whole fight just happened to stay in front of the mental hospital, which it was cool because it just kind of kept it more local and just between themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I was slightly disappointed and then they started fighting and I was like, as the fight went on, I was like, okay, yeah, this is how it needs to happen. It doesn't need to be this big uh, spectacle, kind of like we see with all these other superhero movies, which is just fine. But it's good to see something different. Mm-hmm. More, yeah, more I like that. That personal battle. So David Dunn and the Beasts fight. They're going back and forth. And eventually these guys show up. And they are they seem, first the security people show up and they're overwhelmed. The Beasts they sent six security guards or six SWAT team members. It was such a small uh, yeah. crew they sent. Yeah. I, d- I wish they would have sent more because like, I don't know, it, it just seemed like they had a, uh, like, why would they, where was the, anyone else coming? Like, there was just those six and then that was it. But I guess they wanted to keep it small and um, not like a huge battle. Yeah. Maybe those are the first, the closest six guards. But mm-hmm. yeah, so the beast overwhelms them pretty good and he's able to rescue the, rescue Casey and, and everybody. So, but then does Elijah tell David or does Elijah tell the beast that, hey, his weakness is water or how did how did that happen how did he end up yeah that? yeah he does tell him his, his weakness is water um and then that's what that's when he throws him into that water tank but right before that uh joseph dunn spills the secret which oh, yeah. was super cool like this was a huge twist yeah in the about film that. that um so if you remember in the first film of unbreakable you we get the scene starting on the train with david dunn's on there and you don't think anything of it but actually in the very uh very start of it they they're panning between the aisles and the seats and you see a guy at the very beginning and he's reading a magazine about split personality disorder, uh, the DI, DID, I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you wouldn't notice that at all in Unbreakable because you're not thinking of that, but they replay that clip in Glass, and that's actually the Beast's dad. And we've been hearing his backstory for a time, you know, poor, poor Crumb. His dad left him. He was stuck with his mom. And that's what you think happened. But Joseph unearthed this uh, detail that, no, his dad was leaving to go get treatment for his son and he was researching about this DID that his son had but he ends up dying on the very train that Elijah Price uh, was able to hack and get that uh, crashed which once the beast finds out about that that's when he gets his revenge on um, on Mr. Glass and I thought that was cool how everything's just tied into all these three films so so well yeah yeah it was a great reveal and the beast just picks him up he just kind of punches him and throws him down and that's really all it took to to kill elijah but i think that's when he tells him you know hey david his weakness is uh water yeah he was trying to distract him so the beast wouldn't attack him yet but instead go after uh, david dunn yeah so the beast throws david into this water
water tank that's there next to the the building there, the mental hospital. And there he's able to escape barely. But when they do, there's these other kind of more specialized SWAT team shows up and they they shoot the beast and they they hold David Dunn into this pothole that's next to the the tank of water and basically they drown him in that uh, in that flooded pothole and Staples there Dr. Staple and she's able to tell him that they were trying to brainwash him into thinking that he was just a normal guy and if that would have worked she would have left him alone but now she has to kill him. So she does. And when that was going on, I didn't think it was going to happen. I thought somehow David would use this last bit of strength and throw her off, throw the guys off, and he'd be able to escape. And that's what I was hoping for. But Yeah, I was hoping for that too. And I was mad that it didn't happen. It's like, <laughs> wow, they really didn't kill him. I know. So yeah, they killed off everyone. Beast, Elijah died, and then um, David Dunn died. But before Elijah dies, he tells Dr. Staple that it was all part of the plan. It wasn't, um, what was the, the phrase that he used? It wasn't a, was it an origin story? Is that what, is that what he said? Yeah. No, he said it wasn't a, a finale or something. It was an origin, I think. Yeah, it wasn't a grand finale. It was an origin story. Yeah, it was an origin story because he's wanting to, he's wanting more people to discuss discover their superhuman strengths and, and their talents. Yeah. So that begs the question. Oh, we got to back up a little bit. So right before all this happens, um, Dr. Staple goes to this. It's revealed that she's part of this secret organization. They have black clovers tattooed on their, their thumb, their hand or their wrist. Yeah. It's like in between their thumb and their uh, index finger. Yeah, right in that spot. That fleshy part. Yeah. So and she announces to them that, hey, we, we had success, you know, or no, we haven't had success. We're going to kill them and we're going to move on to the next city or the next phase or whatever it is of their master plan. And so we don't really know too much about them other than the fact that their job is to suppress these people who manifest powers and either convince them that they're not powerful, that they're just normal, or they kill them. So that's what ends up happening here at the end of this film. But it sounds like Elijah Price knew about this organization to some degree. If he's able to tell her, you know, because his plan, it's revealed that he took all these um, video recordings and pushed them out to the world for everybody to know. So why would he plan for that and then tell Dr. Staple it's an origin story? So it seems like he knew somewhat of what was going on. Yeah, and I wonder how he would have known that because he was just in a mental institution for the past 17 years. Like what, what resources did he have access to? But I guess maybe from his studies before, all of his comic books, um, before he was imprisoned, he, he might have known then. Yeah. Yeah, he could have known back in the unbreakable time period. So, and then when she started questioning the three of them in that room, maybe he's like, "Okay, this is this is odd. You know, this isn't. Maybe this is part of that push as well." Mm-hmm. So, uh, Doctor Staple fails, and Elijah pushes this video out to uh, the world. Well, actually, he sends it to a server. He sends the video to a server, and his mom. Casey Cook and Joseph, they are sent an email or a notification about it. And so they are able to see it. And then they are the ones that push it out to the rest of the world, right? Yeah, they they decide to do it. And I thought that was kind of cool. Like he's not like just some evil person, but he gave the survivors a choice. Like, well, you can choose to show this to the rest of the world or you can just delete it if you want. I thought that was cool. It makes it, it, makes it more believable that he's not just some, he has this grand evil plan. 
but it's it's more subtle than that and he's he, he's more humane yeah. in wanting to let the survivors uh, choose yeah he's not just this one-dimensional character this bad guy right mm-hmm. different shades of gray he's got goals and ambitions and the way he wants to do things which is i appreciate that because in a lot of comic book films you don't get that you just got this guy who wants to be bad because it's cool so so they publish it to the world and that's pretty much the end of the film so we don't get to see the results or where it goes from there so that you know begs the question is there going to be a sequel to this trilogy is there going to be a next phase hmm, that's a tough one i i kind of hope so but then part of me also doesn't want to just because i can see it just going in the direction where we've already had plenty of films where there's you know plenty of superheroes out there and they kind of become awakened to what they are it's like that story's been told a lot of times before so it might just be better just to leave it at this but if it does happen I mean, I'm more than happy to go see that in the theater and see what can what can become of this new world. Yeah. yeah, And I think if they do, it will, especially if M. Night Shyamalan's directing or writing it, it will just be a, more of a personal story like these ones are. You know, localized, you know, not a lot of characters, really. So I would be down for that. It's kind of the antithesis to, uh, to the superheroes we have now, to those films. Yeah, it's what we need because we're kind of getting over flooded by all these end of the world films and or the world is in is hanging by a thread and it's going to get destroyed. And that's what I like. These are just a lot more local and a lot more believable too. Yeah. And I think that was the biggest criticism of the film was, you know, it's, well, nothing happened. <laughs> there were aliens didn't come from another dimension and attack earth and the superheroes didn't save us. It was just, you know, they were fighting in front of a mental hospital. And I, I didn't mind that at all. Like you, I thought it was a great change. It was still um, engaging enough. It was still dynamic the characters were great. Acting was great. You know, everything was great. So I would be fine like you. I'd be fine with more films in this vein of, you know, these small personal challenges, personal battles with one or two or three characters, superhero characters. So. Yeah, we've gotten too desensitized of we have to have so much action. There has to be so much at stake where you can't appreciate small, small scale events like this, where it's just between a few people or it's just in a parking lot. And I mean, if, I think it's good to take a step back and just enjoy something that isn't quite as huge as what we're getting with these uh, superhero films today. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with those other films. Um, I see them all. I, you know, the Marvel universe, the DC universe, I see them. I watch them. I like them. But this is a great change. And I think we need more of these type films to to balance out the ones we're getting from these other franchises. So I say there's there's a setup for a sequel. I say, let's do a couple more, see what happens. But yeah, that, if, if it doesn't, it ended just fine. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of Interstellar. Stellar. I recently watched that and it took me about four times to finally understand the story. Yeah, that's such a great movie. Mind warping film. <laughs> and I finally understood the end like, oh, there could actually be potential for a sequel here. Like, that would be awesome. I would love that. But it's one of those films where it doesn't have to have a sequel and it can be just fine the way it is. And that's kind of how I'm seeing with the end of Glass. Like, there's potential for a sequel, but if it doesn't happen, that's, you know, that's okay. It's not like, you know, Transformers 5 where they left us hanging and we're going to be hanging probably <laughs> yeah. the rest of our lives and we're never going to see Unicron ever gets turned into uh, the planet. So I'm mad about that still. 
Yeah. And that's a plug for our, our other podcast series that me and Kimball are doing, Transformers, if you're into that. Uh, it's one of our guilty pleasures. Not as um, in-depth or not as deep as this film, but definitely fun to watch. Uh, we've done a recent episode. Episode one was Bumblebee, the, the movie that came out in December 2018. So if you're into the Transformers, check us out there. Um, we're also on social media. If you want to interact with us, comment on this episode or other episodes that we do with the Credible Nerds. Uh, we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, just Credible Nerds. Search for Credible Nerds on those applications, those apps, and you'll find us and follow us there. We're also on patreon.com. Support us there for exclusive content from our episodes that you can only find on Patreon. And we also have our ad-free episodes on patreon.com. So check us out there, patreon.com slash the Credible Nerd. And we're also on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher, and pretty much any podcast app spotify we're on there so check us out and follow us give us a review let us know what you think send us an email if you want to interact with us that way credible nerds at gmail.com kimball how would you grade this film what's your final thoughts on glass my final thoughts on glass this is definitely an a for me i came in with pretty high hopes and they were they were definitely met uh, I had known nothing about this film until like a few weeks before it came out. You had told me about it and that there was even two other films previously. So I went and checked them out and watched Unbreakable and then I watched Split and I was ready to go for Glass. And that helped me appreciate it a lot better because they used a lot of uh, deleted scenes from those two films and put them into Glass, which I thought was cool. Yeah. Um, the music was great. You could hear both the themes of the two previous movies and they put them in to this. It was just an all-around great film. I loved it. And it was the first time I'd ever gone to the theater alone. So I'd say that's saying something right there. It was worth it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I agree. A for me. Like you said, it ties into the previous two films. Great uh, way to wrap up the trilogy. Um, ties in all the whole story. There's not really any dropped storylines that I can think of. Um, I think it all wraps up very nicely and leaves us wanting more, which is great. That's how you want a movie to end, right? Where you want to hear more, watch more, see more about this this story. So definitely a great one for me. I recommend it. Go check it out. I don't think it's in theaters anymore. Um, if it is, maybe in those dollar theaters. The the film ended up doing really well in the box office. It looks like it's so far it's earned a hundred million in the USA, but that. It hasn't been updated. At least IMDb hasn't updated those numbers. All right. I'm seeing on Wikipedia, $20 million budget, which is super cheap. And then box office total with international and domestic, 240, just under 241 million. That's not bad. So yeah, definitely made a profit there and could leave, could lead to um, new films in this franchise. So definitely go check it out. Uh, buy it on video or DVD when it comes out here in probably a couple of weeks, next month, maybe. I think there's a 90-day period, grace period, they have to have before they can release it on video, if I remember correctly. But that window keeps getting smaller and smaller, it seems. <laughs> yeah, so that's coming up here pretty quick. Check it out if you haven't seen it. We want to thank you guys for joining us here on The Credible Nerds and for joining us on this episode where we review Glass. We'll be tackling Split next, and then we'll be going to the first film in the trilogy, Unbreakable. So stay tuned for those episodes. Keep an eye out. Uh, check out our podcast online on Credible Nerds com or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next time. See ya.